0: You're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership. Hi everyone, my name is Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack Curling Podcast and part two of our Business Bubble episode. In part one, we looked at the business side of last week's announcement by Curling Canada and the World Curling Federation that the City of Calgary will play host to the Scotties, the Briar, the Canadian Mixed Doubles Championship and the Men's World Championship in a Bubble, centered around the Mark and McPhail Centre at Canada Olympic Park. In part two, we'll hear from some of the many players impacted by last week's announcement. I'll be joined by Olympic gold medalist Mark Kennedy of Team Jacobs, a three-time Briar champion, Laura Walker, who competed in the 2020 Scotties as skip of Team Alberta, Mike Forney, a past Briar participant from Quebec, and Jill Brothers, who has represented Nova Scotia at the Scotties on four different occasions. I'm also joined by two-time U.S. national women's champion Tabitha Peterson, who had herself quite a week last week despite not even playing in one competitive curling game. Our first guest this week is Mark Kennedy, a 2010 Olympic gold medalist, a two-time world and three-time Briar champion, who joined me to discuss the Calgary bubble from the perspective of someone who could potentially be in the bubble for the better part of five weeks. Mark Curling Canada recently announced that the Briar scottys Canadian Mixed Doubles and the Men's Worlds will be hosted in a bubble in Calgary. How welcomed was that news for you in a curling season where just about every other announcement has been bad in one form or another?
1: Yeah, it was very welcoming news. I think we're, you know, we're excited at the thought of it, um, a chance to kind of salvage our season. Um, lots of, you know, lots of positive feelings when it comes to the announcement. So, and I, I know that curl Canada and the group involved have worked extremely hard over the last few months, um, to even make this, uh, be a, an opportunity for us. So yeah, extremely excited. And, but, you know, no, we know that it's a few months away and, and hoping that everything starts moving in the right direction. Um, but overall, pretty uh, optimistic and excited to be a part of it, hopefully.
0: Now, both the NHL and the NBA were successful in creating bubbles that kept their players, officials, and others safe. However, they spent tens of millions to ensure that the bubble was secure and that players were tested on a daily basis. How comfortable are you that Curling Canada, which doesn't have the financial resources of either the NBA or NHL, will be able to provide a safe environment for players at the Briars, the Scotties, etc.? Yeah,
1: well, it's certainly, you know, the, the health and safety of the athletes is going to be top priority. And in order to do that, that bubble needs to be tight. So uh, you, you bring up a good point without those, those uh, extreme amount of funds to make sure that it's safe. Um, you know, there there are a few questions that some of us have as to how it's going to proceed uh, in a safe and effective way. So um, you know, I know that, you know, I've been in touch with Curl Canada a few times just with some questions about it, and uh, they seem to have put a lot of time and due diligence into making sure that everyone's safe. I know that they've been in contact with um, the NHL just to get some ideas as to how to make it work. Um, but, yeah, that, that's the big question, right? We'd love to think that it's going to be as safe and tight as possible, but, you know, without those millions of dollars to make sure it's going to happen, can we do it? Uh, so I hope, it, I hope it works out, um, but there's still a few questions that need to be answered, and I think it's still going to be important for the athletes, once they're in that bubble, to still be taking a lot of precautions um, to make sure that it continues to be safe and that all the athletes are healthy. Because the one thing about our bubble that's different is the amount of players that will be coming in and out oh. of it. Um, you know, with potentially... Five or six events, you're going to have players coming in and out all the time, having been exposed to airplanes and travel, you know, making sure that we've got the right protocols in place, that nobody's bringing the virus into the bubble um, is going to be tough. So, yeah, lots of questions. um, But, uh, you know, some of us, we're going to have to put a little bit of faith in the powers that be and hope that uh, hope that everything goes without a hitch.
0: As you understand it right now, Mark, and with the caveat that things still have time to change, what will be the process for players to enter and compete in the Calgary bubble?
1: Yeah, well, my understanding right now is that every athlete is going to need to provide a negative test um, a couple days before they arrive. So that's called test one. Um, Test two is going to happen as soon as we do arrive. Uh, Once we land... And get into our rental car. That's it. We're considered inside the bubble at that moment. Um, the rental vehicle will have to go directly to Windsport where there's another testing facility set up where you will do your second test, technically called test two, I guess, um, which is on day zero. And then from there you go straight to the hotel and you, the only two places you're allowed to be are the hotel and the arena. And then for the first five days that you're there, uh, I think the idea is that you are going to be, you know, physically distancing and masking when you're not around your teammates um, just as an extra precaution, um, even if everyone has tested negative with test two, and then they're going to provide another test um, five to six days after you're in the bubble, just to make sure that everyone's negative again. So as far as I know, at the moment, there's three tests and that'll be for every event and you know you, the the green zone is considered the bubble, which is the hotel and the arena. Um, you know we've been asked to not even stop, whether it's for Tim Hortons coffee or McDonald's or anything like that. So you're just supposed to have all your supplies ready to go in the hotel, and and that's it. That's kind of the big gist of the safety protocols at the moment. I know that they have some um, situations in place in case somebody does test positive, making sure that it stays isolated and that type of thing. But um as for now we've just kind of been um we've just kind of gotten a summary of what the plan is to get into the bubble and then we'll we'll see how it goes so that's my understanding at the moment.
0: You and the rest of team Jacobs played in an event in Penticton BC a few weeks ago with several other teams that are good bets to qualify for the Briar. Now there were actually more teams in Penticton than there would be in a full field Briar. What seemed to go well in Penticton in keeping all of you safe.
1: Well that's where there's still a little bit of uh, not confusion but just uncertainty as to how the actual game's going to be played so penticton was a great event they put a lot of effort into making sure the athletes were safe uh, and that everything was you know protected they did the best they absolutely they they did the best they could and it was really good and the event was great and it went off without a hitch the question for the the bubble will be what style of curling are we going to be playing because in penticton i mean everybody was masked Um, we were still relaying with sweepers. So you never had two sweepers at one time. There was no sweeping behind the T line. So all of those protocols were still in effect in Penticton. Um, and, And we still have some questions to ask with Curl Canada when it comes to what style of play are we playing? Are we able to just go full out curling like we normally would because we're in the bubble? Or do we still need to take a few precautions, especially early in the week before we all receive our third test? So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think from an athlete perspective, we're willing to do whatever we have to, um, to make it a safe event. And, you know, we've all kind of had a little bit of experience now with what it's like to curl with the safety protocol. So we'd all be willing to do that again if we had to, but, but we'll see it's uh, you know, the nice thing with curling and curlers is we're usually pretty flexible when it comes to what needs to get done in order for the event to be successful and, and I don't think this will be any different. You know, we're all dying for the, the sport to be back on TV and for us to be back out competing with our teammates and, and getting some exposure for sponsors and, and making sure that we have a national championship. So, you know, we'll do whatever it takes to, to make it successful and, and make it work. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. And, yeah, back to quickly with Penticton, you know, huge credit to I know the organizer there, Matt Tolley um he was curling in the event as well he he spent hours and hours and days trying to make sure that it went off well and that nobody got sick and that they were still able to have lots of prize money and uh and make it work and we're really happy that he did I think a lot of teams are really thankful for those types of people and those types of committees that are willing to put the time in especially this day and age when when uh, nothing is a certainty
0: so, Mark, the Briar is the most visible and most prestigious curling event in men's curling, at least in Canada, outside of the Olympics. It's an event that players want to compete in. It's an event that is well covered by TSN. It's an event where the winner receives an automatic spot in the Olympic trials. And bottom line is, it's the friggin' Briar. As a veteran of the sport, uh, are you confident that players, yourself included will do what's in their best interest from a personal health perspective, or will all of those rewards that come with competing in and potentially winning the briar, such as prize money, the automatic berth in the trials, and added visibility, etc., cause some players to take risks that they might not otherwise choose to take, despite the fact that Curling Canada will be doing everything in its power to protect the players while you're in the bubble?
1: Oh, that's a good question, and a big question. I I think it's going to be different for every athlete. I think every athlete is coming at this from a different perspective, you know, whether they're younger, maybe without kids and without a family, you know, maybe they'd be willing to take on a little bit more risk at this point in their life. Um, Or some of the older athletes like myself that, you know, have a family and young kids to to worry about as well. I think it just depends on every athlete's going to have a different answer for you. Um, you know, I know what my risk tolerance is at the moment, and, and it might even be different than the risk tolerance of my my own teammates. You know, I've had lots of discussions with other curlers that are, that are ready to just go and play and that aren't too concerned about, uh, you know, a virus that in their mind that they can overcome pretty quickly. So it just, everyone's got such differing and sometimes opposite opinions in regards to the, to this virus and to each their own, you know, we're, I'm not here to judge anyone or anything, um but that is a very interesting question. And and we'll see if push comes to shove, what some curlers are willing to do and what some others maybe aren't willing to do. Uh, I think at this point, the important thing is making sure that that bubble is as safe and healthy as possible um, so that we we don't have to worry too much and that we don't have to put the athletes in those positions where maybe they have to decide. You know, I, I think that's the biggest key at the moment is, um, if any of those athletes feel like they're being put in or pressured into a situation that they don't want to be in, uh, it's going to create a pretty tough environment. So so the focus right now is just make sure that uh, the protocols are tight and everything is safe as possible and everyone's doing their due diligence to make sure they're coming into the bubble healthy and and then hope it goes off without a hitch.
0: In my last question Mark I referred to you as a veteran of the sport so I thought it might be interesting to ask you if you're seeing a wide discrepancy of opinions among players when it comes to the level of risk they're willing to take in order to curl.
1: We're in a world right now where you know the opposing views to things are stronger than I've ever felt in my life right the the whether it's political or not some people are on one side of the equation others are on the other I have friends that are you know almost extreme radicals when it comes to whether it's the virus is a hoax. Uh, I have others that have taken, you know, probably overcautious, whatever, whatever part of that line you fall on. We've all felt it th- with family and friends and discussions with curling. And I think it's just important that we don't judge one another's opinions, whether they feel comfortable or not, depending on the situation. So, and that's probably more important now than ever and more prominent in our sport now than ever to make sure that everyone's comfortable. You know, if we're going to run these events and we're going to make them happen, let's make sure that every curler that's there feels comfortable and safe uh, and is able to perform at their best because they feel that way.
0: As we speak, Mark, uh, the buzz is that Northern Ontario is likely to cancel its men's, women's and mixed doubles playdowns and send last year's champions to the Briar of the Scotties and the Canadian Mixed Doubles Championship, which means that your team is very likely to qualify for the Briar without having to play a game.
1: Yeah, sure. So my understanding is that they were one of the first provinces to to mention it as a possibility. Um, and then I, I know that they were going to have further discussion about it. And I believe that was happening this week, that they were going to make a decision on whether a provincials was being held or not, or whether they were going to send the defending champion. So at the moment, I don't know for sure. Uh, I You know, the rumor is they might have been leaning towards not having a provincials. And, and to be honest, I my gut would tell me that there's not going to be a lot of provincial championships played, um, for obvious reasons, just with cases rising and things getting more difficult, it's, it's hard to run an event right now and keep it safe for the athletes. So, you know, and unfortunately that's not a great situation for a lot of provinces that have a lot of really strong teams and contenders. You know, if you don't have a provincials, who are you sending? And, um, that that's a really tough position to be in right now. And it's probably the most important question here in the next couple of weeks is how they determine that and what's going to happen. So we should know here in Northern Ontario. Well, I guess I'm not in Northern Ontario, but Northern Ontario should know uh, within the next week or two what they're deciding to do. Um, and then I guess we'll kind of see the dominoes fall here across the province as we, or across the country as we go. My gut would tell me that there's not going to be a lot of provincial championships played. For obvious reasons, just with cases rising and things getting more difficult, it's it's hard to run an event right now and keep it safe for the athlete. So, you know, and unfortunately, that's not a great situation for a lot of provinces that have a lot of really strong teams and contenders. You know, if you don't have a provincials, who are you sending? And um, that's a really tough position to be in right now. And it's probably the most important question here in the next couple of weeks is how they determine that you know it is what it is it's just it's unfortunate and i i certainly sympathize with a lot of those players right now that are that are worried about not having the opportunity to get into that bubble because if the bubble does go well and and things it could be a lot of fun right it could be the opportunity to play the sport we love without protocols and and you know get to compete against the best and have a chance to play in the briar and maybe the mixed doubles as well as the two slams that got announced today so it could be a fantastic couple of weeks of curling and it would be really unfortunate for a lot of those young teams if they didn't have the opportunity to to compete for that spot so definitely a tough situation for curling across canada right now
0: And finally, Mark, there are teams in certain provinces, especially on the East Coast and in the territories, facing some difficult decisions should they compete and win their playdowns. In some cases, they would have to quarantine for two weeks upon their return home, meaning that participating in the Briar or Scotties might force them to miss as much as four weeks of work, which some curlers simply can't afford to do.
1: Well, it's a good question. And I know there's a lot of teams in that situation where... Some of them have a it could have a big impact on their career as well. You know, some are being told that they they're not able to travel outside of the province, otherwise they're risking their jobs. So that's gonna be a question that teams are gonna to have to answer for themselves. You know, that there may be some provinces that decide not to send teams and, and that might open the door for other top teams, maybe via the CTRS to get into the bubble so what you're probably going to see frank is most of the curling teams that are in that bubble are teams that have made you know curling a uh, their job or or one of the top priorities in their life that are that are touring all season long and you know those will probably be the athletes and teams that do commit to coming into the bubble and and you might see a couple of provinces not represented as as a result of that but uh, and and again it's super unfortunate but also really important that we do get our sport back on tv i know there's a huge want for it for fans to to watch the briar and and really just to watch curling at this year i don't even know if people would care that much how many provinces were represented just that there's some curling back on tv so lots of tough questions though and and you and i certainly don't have all the answers and i think we're probably thankful that we don't have to answer all all of them and we can leave that to some other people
0: This season, From the Hack, has not approached any of our usual podcast sponsors, because we understand that the pandemic and the limited curling season so far has made it difficult on most curling stakeholders. That said, I want to thank Hardline Curling, Jet Ice, Asham Curling Supplies and Equipment, and the Curling Zone for their support over the years, and we look forward to working with them again when the curling community, and the whole world for that matter, has turned the page on the COVID-19 pandemic. My next guest this week is Laura Walker, who is likely to compete in the Canadian Mixed Doubles Championship Inside the Bubble, and perhaps also the Scotties. Laura joins me to discuss the realities of entering the bubble as a new mom, and also shares how Curling Canada will help accommodate her need for a support person inside the bubble to help care for her infant son. Laura, you've experienced the pandemic a little bit differently than most people by making a life-changing addition to your family while everyone else was in lockdown.
2: Yeah, we um, we're in a bit of a unique situation because I was pregnant through the whole pandemic, so I think I actually got more sleep and rest than I ever would have without it, and I had a pretty smooth pregnancy, probably helped by by that. And now having our little one at home, um, Jeff's been home all of the time when he would normally be gone, basically all of the time at this time of year. So I have his help at home uh, with Liam, so we are, are really just taking advantage of the silver linings of this whole thing, and um, you know, using the time to. Just slow down for a little while, take some time with each other and, and with our little guy before you know he he's growing up before our eyes. So it's nice to to be home with him. Obviously, it's hard. Jeff's work has affected curling is his job, so his work is affected. Um, and it's it's tough, but it's also been been nice in some ways. We're just trying to look at the positive side.
0: It's still not a done deal yet, but there is a good chance that you will compete in the Calgary bubble in the mixed doubles championship and potentially the Scotties if your team qualifies as a new mom, how comfortable are you with the idea of competing at one or more events with so many other players involved? And and to be fair, it certainly appears like Curling Canada will have a strong bubble in place, but they are having to do it with only a fraction of the budget that the NHL and the NBA had.
2: Yeah, it's obviously, I would hate for myself to get sick because that's a pretty good chance then that my little guy would get sick, but um, we've heard Curling Canada's plans as far as how they plan to keep us safe. And although we don't have, you know, the money of the NHL or the NBA, what they've come up with as a plan, I think we're very comfortable with. And it's like kudos to them on, on how they've come up with this. There'll be multiple tests. We'll be quarantining before we go. Um, there's a lot of things that make me feel pretty safe once I'm once I'm there. And other than that, we can really just do all the things we've been doing up to this point and with masks and washing our hands and going out as little as possible. And um, that's, that's really all we can do and I, I'll try not to dwell on it too much but we'll just be a little bit extra careful but at this point um, with the bubble I feel very comfortable and I know curling Alberta if they do run a provincial is they're working on making it um, you know bubble-esque as well and, and be quite safe in that sense um, if it was just going to be a free-for-all I'd, I'd feel very uncomfortable competing and might actually consider not competing so I'm glad that everyone's
0: taking those precautions Now, I'm assuming that Curling Canada will allow you to bring your little guy into the bubble with you, but will they allow you to bring someone else in the bubble to look after Liam while you're competing?
2: Yeah, so that's my other big concern with the bubble um, is just the amount of time that Jeff is going to be spending in it. However, Curling Canada... Um, has worked to make sure that, um, you know, I will be taken care of as far as being a a new and and nursing mother. That's the only exception that they're making for the bubble at all is allowing me to have one caregiver or support person in the bubble with me because I I am breastfeeding. So I will need to have um, Liam there with me to feed him. (laughs) So that's going to be their one um, exception. And whether that be Jeff or not, that's another discussion we're going to have to have because, if he comes in the bubble with me, if, if we should be lucky enough to be at the Scotties, then that could mean a couple of weeks where his practice is compromised, um, leading up to, you know, his biggest and only event of the year being the Briar. So we're going to have to figure that out. But uh, Curling Canada has been really great at trying to make sure that um, I am able to compete because if they weren't allowing me a caregiver, I wouldn't be able to compete being that I am breastfeeding.
0: Okay, that's good to hear that Curling Canada will accommodate you and allow someone to be in the bubble with you to look after the baby while you're competing.
2: Yeah, and that person will be subject to all of the same um, protocols that we are, so they'll have to quarantine before we go in. They'll get all the same tests, like they'll be treated like, you know, an athlete or an official or a coach in
0: the bubble so that um, it doesn't jeopardize anybody's safety. Now, realizing that things could change from week to week at this point, what is your current understanding about how Alberta will be proceeding as far as the provincial championships are concerned?
2: Uh, the latest that I've heard is that they're still planning to do it as um, expected as far as the number of teams and the format goes. However, they are pursuing an exemption based on making it a bit of a bubble situation. Um, in Alberta here, we we cannot have recreational sports, but we can have uh, quote-unquote professional sports. So I think they're pursuing... That angle that this does have impact on people's, um, you know, financial well-being. As far as if you were to make the Scotties win, the Scotties, the funding that comes with that, um, etc. So they're looking at that angle, but they're also, if they do run it, it would be um, a very similar model to what Curling Canada is doing. Maybe not to the same extent, but they're hoping to have teams maybe, um, you know, do as much of a quarantine as they can before they go. And we'd all be in the same hotel. We'd go nowhere but the hotel and the arena. And Um, They do have some plans to, you know, pitch to curling or to Alberta Health Services to be able to run under that model. So if they can't run under under that model, my guess is that they they won't be able to run um, because it just wouldn't be safe. And they probably, you know, wouldn't get the approval to do so anyways. But that's what we're looking at at the moment. Uh, Whether that gets approved or not, we have no idea.
0: Now, I realize that you can't speak for anyone else but perhaps your team, Laura, but I'm curious about how involved the players have been in the planning process for the Calgary bubble. Did Curling Canada consult with the players at all? Because ultimately, the players are the ones that have the most at stake once inside the bubble.
2: Um, very much so. I know they've consulted with, with teams along the way this whole time. And basically, you know, if... if they were proposing something that we couldn't make work then it was going to be a waste of time for them to go through the whole approval process. Um, We don't most of us don't get paid to curl like you know NHL players or NBA players do that's their job so for a lot of us um, the whole process is taking us away from our jobs taking us away from um, the stuff that we have at home and so for a lot of people that might not be financially viable or viable with their families so they uh, we're careful to talk to all of us pretty much the, the entire way to make sure that what they were actually putting in place was feasible from our perspective. Um, and then making sure that we would, you know, be as happy as we can be with what they put into place and that we can we can make it work. So they've been awesome kind of including everyone along
0: the way uh, with their decision making. And finally, Laura, the one thing that has become clear in conversations I've had with players over the past few weeks is that there are some that are chomping at the bit to get back on the ice no matter what, and others that are eager to return to play but are mindful that there is still much risk involved and they don't want to put themselves in a situation where they might be exposed to the virus. In short, people are pretty much divided on the subject. How did you and your team deal with the approach to competing while the virus is still a concern did you sit down as a team or perhaps over zoom to discuss whether you were all on the same page moving forward
2: um absolutely yeah. and we i like like i said i can only speak to my my team but um you know we were looking there as it was an event that still might be trying to run here um, in a few weeks in december pretty close to christmas and even if it runs we got together and just said it's it's not, it's not worth the risk for us. We, If we are allowed to see our family over the holidays, um, we, we don't want to risk that by traveling and um, potentially having a, a positive case or a scare. And it's just for our mental health too. It's been a long year of um, planning to go somewhere and practicing and preparing and being all ready to go and two days before finding out, well, we actually can't go. Um, so just for ourselves, our families to be able to make plans, we said even if they decide to, you know, Try to run at the last minute. We are going to be participating because we just need that time for ourselves. But um, we, so we kind of are all on the same page as far as each event, and then we we touch base on events kind of as they come up and as we think that we might be able to play in them, and then we make those decisions. And if there is one person who says no, I can't do it, then um, there wouldn't even be a, an eyelash batted from the other three of us. We would um, we all support each other in whatever they feel they need to do throughout this whole thing and you know family health mental health all of that comes before
0: curling my next guest is veteran curler and blogger extraordinaire mike Fournier of quebec who is a skip of the province's top-ranked men's team mike and i discuss the limited amount of curling he has been able to do this season and we also discuss how quebec has decided to pick their reps for the briar and scotties should the provincial playdowns be cancelled Mike, the first question I've been asking guests lately is a simple one, but also a complicated one, given the times we currently live in. How have you been, and how have you and your family been coping with the pandemic? Oh,
3: uh, not too bad, I guess. I mean, uh, it, for for me, for work, yeah, I've been able to work remotely. Um, you know, my three kids, uh, they're all in the form of school right now, either 50% or you know online for a bit, but they're they're all getting by so I, I mean I think like most people were we're coping I mean I think we're all anxious for it to end and get back to something that looks like normal but uh you know and it, it's such a big contrast i think for my for my family especially like my kids are all very sporty and, and like I'm gone curling in the fall, so i mean our our fall is usually such a a Google calendar gymnastics exercise, you know, of of trying to coordinate who's going where, who's got a hockey tournament this weekend, who's got a curling tournament this weekend, who's taking the my daughter to ring out on this night and practice on this night. And instead it's nothing. <laughs> you know, it's just we've gotten cold turkey on it. You know, we're we're doing nothing. So it's uh it's been a big change for us. So I, I think that's been the hardest part of it, strangely enough.
0: There's obviously been a lot of restrictions in Quebec since the start of the pandemic. So I'm wondering if you've played any games so far this season, and if not, have you at least been able to get out and throw some rocks? I
3: I have not played a single curling game this year. Uh, I mean, we were scheduled to play a really busy season and we had a lot starting and then uh, it all went to hell. So the one thing that did happen is on my curling club, my home club, Glenmore uh, mercifully put their ice in in September and they've kept it in despite the restrictions uh, that have come in place on in Montreal and a lot of parts of Quebec. So at, they're allowing practice, uh, which means I can go maximum two people per sheet. Uh, so I can go, uh, you know, pretty much any night of the week and throw rocks. So I've been throwing a lot of rocks. Uh, I mean, it's one of those situations. It's like being a king of the driving range, right? It's like, I feel like I'm throwing the rock great. You know, like like you always feel like you're you're hitting the ball great on the driving range and then you get on the golf course and it's a different story. But, but uh, for me, I haven't had a chance to test it out. Right. I mean, I, I just been throwing a, a quarry full of practice rocks. So
0: there seems to still be a lot of up in the air uh, when it comes to provincial championships across the country uh, right now, Mike, what's the latest update from the province of Quebec when it comes to provincials?
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine play downs happening in Quebec. Uh, I mean, there hasn't been curling games. Uh, curling games would be banned in every region and, uh, curling Quebec has come out and said that they're not going to hold a provincial unless every region in the province is back to a status where they're allowed to play. Otherwise they can't exclude certain regions from the provincials. So they said it's all or nothing in terms of, of whether or not they're going to have a provincial. So, I mean, I think the, uh, th- they haven't sh- they haven't officially canceled the provincials yet and there's still a date for it at the end of January, uh, but they've said it's not going to happen in the format it usually happens in. At most, it would be a, a club kind of level event with a, a limited number of teams. But uh, I think everybody's kind of acknowledging the fact that with the numbers where they are in Quebec and no, showing no signs of changing for the last two or three months, um, I, I think we're heading towards a situation where there probably won't be a provincial. But, you know, fingers crossed. Everybody wants there to be one.
0: So Mike has curling Quebec identified any other scenarios or methods through which they might go about identifying who will represent Quebec at the Brier or the Scotties.
3: Yeah, well so here's what curling Quebec did. And they came out and and they were kind of put under the under the gun a bit because the team that won the Scotties last year in Quebec basically had announced that they'd broken up as a team you know so it it was kind of difficult to conceive saying hey you guys want to get back together to go to the scotties you know or you you know it it was a very strange situation i I don't know if it's unique in quebec or if it happened in any other provinces but so you basically have a format where you say well geez if i send last year's winners i have to get a team that told the world that they didn't want to play together anymore to all get back together to go to the scotties you know and you know so that that created a problem for them i think and and i think they sat down and said look we want to send uh, the best team with the best chance of winning you know that that's kind of the thinking that they had at curling quebec so they said okay well there's a couple of ways we could do this we could send last year's champion that's option 1 let's say we could send we could hold a you know I, i've called this like a beauty contest <laughs> you know where we basically say okay let's let's get all the teams that want to go and we'll appoint some judges and we'll pick the best team or we'll pick the the top ranked team or whatever. Uh, Or three, they, they talked about having a vote, even like a player's vote or, uh, you know, all members of curling Quebec kind of vote to send it, you know, so they, they went through a whole bunch of options and I think hammered out it realizing that I don't think any of them are particularly good ideas. It's just choosing the least bad idea. (laughs) And from what I've heard, they've settled on, The second option of that so what they've said the process is going to be if there's no provincial is they're going to get on any team that wants to play uh, has to basically submit their application and say uh, and write in a hundred words or less this is why we think us and here's our case and this is why. and then what they've kind of done is deferred the decision and said we're going to send it to uh, the Canadian Curling Association's competitive <laughs> branch, and let them pick. You know, so it, it, it's a strange process in Quebec. So it's kind of a, a beauty pageant uh, judged by Curling Canada kind of process. Uh, so it's uh, it, it's interesting. I don't know how it'll turn out. I don't know what happens. I, honestly, with the way the process is, I, I mean, I, I think it's probably it, it's probably the best, the least bad idea. Uh, I guess the question is: Is it uh, how are they going to do it? Like, I, I think the ideal would be to have a provincial. But if we go down that road of having to pick a team, it's going to be this process. Which I don't know. It is what it is. So, have
0: you started working on your team's PowerPoint yet? <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, I haven't done that yet. No, and I've been joking. I said, "Wow, I never knew lobbying was a skill I was going to have to work on to get to the Briar." You know, but uh, but I, I mean, it, it's it, it's tricky for us, you know, because I, I mean, we're like you know we and we added Martin Crate to our team you know we were a team that put in and I don't want to say you know everybody works hard but I don't want to say this but I think we were the team that probably put in the most effort and travel last year and you know we're the number 1 ranked CTRS team in Quebec so you say okay well yeah there's a case for us to go but then you look at like a Bedard who a team that won last year and you say well they won should they get the right to go again i i I don't know i mean there's no right or wrong right it's 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 who do you pick (laughs) you know and and i hate processes of picking i i I, you know i believe curling is a game that should be settled on the ice so in
0: that scenario who do you think they might send to represent quebec in the scotties
3: there's really no option on the women's side i mean if we don't send larry saint Georges as a province like it's going to be a lot of head scratching you know so it, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, and I don't I don't want to be biased. I don't want to, I, I honestly don't want to lobby. <laughs> you know,
0: I'm not that kind of guy. Now, obviously, whoever ends up representing Quebec at the Briar will have to compete inside the bubble that will be created by Curling Canada. What's your comfort level going in to play such an important event inside of a bubble that will most likely be very safe for everyone involved, but there will always be some level of risk?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's... I think it's making the best out of a bad situation. I mean, obviously I think the easiest thing would be to throw your hands up and season's over, forget it, let's move on. I really admire Curling Canada for what, uh, uh, you know, what they put together. Because, I mean, it's it's got to be freaking hard to have done this, you know, to get alignment with the sponsors, with TSN, with just all the the money that's required to, to create this kind of environment. I mean, you know, curling's not the NBA, it's not the NHL. You know, there's not rich owners behind the game who, who can fund something like this. Right. So it, you know, it's uh, and I'm sure it's not cheap, <laughs> you know? So I, I, uh, I commend them really for, for putting this on and for trying to, to say salvage something from the season, you know? And like I said, I, I mean, we've, we've thrown our hat in the ring that we want to go, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like uh, obviously it's not going to be a, a usual briar. It's not going to have the same atmosphere as, as uh as it would normally have but you know what it's it's what we got these days <laughs> you know i mean i i look at other sports i mean and i'm uh you know i i get up and watch european soccer on saturday morning you know because it's on you know and it's something to do and it's uh it's a sport and there's nobody in the stands there but you know it's still the sport so i mean for for most of the people playing i mean they they devote so much time and and their life to the game that for uh for them to not curl for an entire season for them to not have anything to play for uh is really hard so i mean i think it's i think it's uh it's an idea you know i mean i like i said it's it's making the best of a bad situation.
0: Finally, Mike, I think it's fair to say that Curling Canada is doing everything in their power to make sure that the bubble in Calgary will be a safe one for everyone involved. That being said, in a pandemic, there will always be risk to traveling to compete in a sporting event. Now, you've been around the sport for a number of years now, and you know how important the briar is for the top men's teams in the country. It's an event that the players want to compete in. It's an event that is well covered by the media. It's an event where the winner receives an automatic spot in the Olympic trials. And I mean, it's the briar i mean people have known about this event as a young curler growing up and it's an important one and it's an event that all men's curlers want to compete in considering that this is otherwise a lost season do you believe that some players might be entering the bubble against their better judgment because they need the ctrs points because they need to make some money because they need to get on the ice and compete for their mental health and because they want to give their sponsors some additional return on investment
3: yeah, I mean, uh, it, a risk is a hard thing to evaluate in this. I find, you know, I mean, I think as humans, we're we're not well wired to evaluate risk properly, you know. And you see that with COVID, you know, and just and how people behave and how people respond to different requests to avoid the risk, right? Um, I I think like I mean, for me, I I I'm not too worried about players showing up being at risk of having of bringing COVID into the bubble and and my understanding of how a bubble works is the first thing you do when you get into the bubble is you test 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 to make sure nobody has COVID you know so I I think there's there's little risk like if you ask me if the week before if if my kids are in school and there's a COVID exposure and I'm told to isolate I, I don't I think it would suck but I'd have to not go right because you just can't go and and bring COVID into the bubble you know Uh, I I mean, is there risk? I guess it's it's you look at what the NHL accomplished, you know, during a period where there was still a pretty high level of transmission, you look at what the NBA accomplished, you know, where they managed to run these things without uh, letting COVID into their bubble. So it's possible. You know, I mean, it's a doable thing to do. It's doable. So I, I, I I believe it works out. and, And I'm not particularly worried about the risk of catching COVID and something like that, I guess. So I mean, you know, like I said, we had a team discussion and everybody was pretty much, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go. Um, Is there the risk that players take too much risk? Uh, I think always, for sure. But that's why you keep testing and testing and testing and put strict protocols into place, right? You have to protect people from themselves. uh, And uh, I'm assuming that's what's going to happen. But uh, I don't know. I I mean, like I said, we're all... Everybody has a disc- different tolerance for risk right and uh, you see it especially with this, with COVID uh, so I, I think that's why you have to put a strict protocol in place and and be very rigid about who you let into your bubble. <laughs>
0: My next guest this week is four-time Scotty's participant, Jill Brothers of Nova Scotia, who joins me to discuss how she and many players in different parts of Canada would have to quarantine for 14 days upon the return from the Calgary bubble, regardless of how much time they spent out of province. Jill, I know that you work in an industry that was significantly impacted by the pandemic for a while. Uh, how have you been, and how have you been able to uh, cope, and how's the family coping?
4: Um, it's been a lot. I have a, I have a young family. Um, my kids are five and a half and two and a half. Um, so it's our first year experiencing elementary school. Uh, it's his first year school this week. School was closed because there was a case in his school last week. So, um, my husband and I both work outside the home. We don't have the luxury of staying at home. Um, so it's been a lot of juggling. So it's just like with the two kids, it's week to week. And with the curling club, it's week to week. Um, So, I mean, as a family, we've been, we've been dealing quite well and I had the three months off when it was the extreme shutdown. So I stayed home with the kids the whole time. My husband still had to go to work. Um, So yeah, it's been interesting and um, yeah, it, it literally just feels like life is week by week and decision is, you know, day by day.
0: Now your team was able to play a few events in the Atlantic bubble before additional restrictions were put in place. How had your season gone up to that point?
4: Yeah, our season so far, uh, what we've been able to play in has been really good. Um, there were events canceled out here, and we decided to dial back the schedule because two of us do have two kids. One's a teacher. We just, there was a lot of unknowns, so we did dial back the schedule just to stay in Halifax. So we played three events. Um, our first one, we finished in the semis, and the last two events, we actually won. So um, so we're just having a strong finish to a questionable season right now. <laughs>
0: Now, Jill, I can appreciate that this could change any day, but as it stands now, what is the plan for the Nova Scotia Provincials? Are they going ahead as originally scheduled, and uh, are there any backup scenarios that they're looking at in case they can't host a Provincials?
4: Yeah, right now, our latest is that we don't have open curling clubs right now. Things are, we're in a semi-lockdown, kind of, um, so, yeah, I I, I feel like, you know, the curling clubs will reopen, and there will be. Be a championship, and right now the championship looks like the um, the qualifiers have been um, cancelled, and we're going to look at having just a triple knockout um, open provincial for men's and women's at the end of January. I have never played in a triple event like this, so totally new to me. Um, Since our team did finish number one overall this year, we had the bye to provincials anyway, but now there doesn't matter who you know. We might have like. We might get number one seed might get, you know, a free win at the beginning of the triple knockout or something. I'm not sure. But um, they've got it all lined up to happen in uh, New Glasgow, which as of right now, Halifax people are not permitted to go to New Glasgow um, again, hoping it all changes and New Glasgow will open uh, welcome us. Um, to play some curling in their town, so it's we're we're kind of shut down a little bit in zones. They want the Halifax people to stay in Halifax.
0: As I understand it, Jill, your team would have to quarantine for 14 days upon returning home from the Scotties if you were to qualify, which means that you would be away from work for the better part of a month with no guarantee that you would get to play more than six or seven games at the Scotties, depending on what the format will be. Has your team had what I'm sure would be a difficult conversation, and that's whether it makes sense for you and perhaps other members of your team to miss out on close to a month of work to potentially go to Calgary and play a limited number of games?
4: Yeah, so we had this conversation um, a while back, and um, we knew it was going to be a messed up season. Um, We had a lot of questions, and, you know, I feel like some of the questions have been answered, but again, we're not even in an Atlantic bubble anymore. We're in just Nova Scotia bubble on our own. The Atlantic bubble is, um, you know, it's done for right now, and it's going kind of, every two weeks the premiers are deciding if we can even see each other in in Prince Edward Island or whatever. So, yeah, so we're just still on this two week quarantine for coming back into our own province. And um, again, it's, it's something that we talked about a couple months ago and then we said, we're going to just have to wait and see what Curling Canada comes up with. Um, You know, and if we're still going to be on this two week quarantine, in the east coast so now we're at this stage where a lot of information has just come out so now we just need to revisit our meeting and see where everyone's heads are come february if we do win the province um and then you know if our heads are in a place where we can't afford to take that much time off work to go to calgary then we have to look at okay do we want to even go to new Glasgow and compete for the championship. If you know that you're going to hand it over to the second place team or someone else, does that even make sense? If you can't make a month long commitment to go to a national championship. So we still, we have to have another meeting and um, it's been a lot of information that's come out. um, A lot of different ideas popping around on Twitter because uh, the rollout from curling Canada was felt a bit vague, um, it felt a bit like, oh, are, is this still in February? Like, what dates are we talking about? I was anticipating something later in the season and that would have given me more, um, you know, ambition to be like, let's go in the championship and hopefully it'll be in April and we'll have, the country can clear things up a bit better, but they're still looking at a really tight timeline in my opinion. And, um, in Calgary's not a happy place right now.
0: And finally, Jill, typically by the time they arrive at the Scotties, the top-ranked Canadian teams have played some 60 or 70 games, usually against the other top-ranked teams in the world at Slams, at the Canada Cup, and other tour events such as the Autumn Gold and these two cells. This season, the top-ranked teams will arrive in Calgary, having played a very limited schedule, some perhaps with only a handful of games under their belts. Do you think this might provide the opportunity for a surprise winner at the Scotties, a Tier 2 team perhaps getting on a roll, and winning the title against top teams that might not be able to shake off the rust in time, or do you believe that the top teams will still have the advantage?
4: Uh, That's a great question. I actually hadn't thought about that at all. It'd been too caught up in uh, the logistics, I guess. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. Every year is uh, you're going in hoping like you scrounge into playoffs and stuff. But I mean, realistically, I still think the top teams like are gonna just bring out their, you know, fire and still be amazing. I I don't, I don't know. I I think they'll still be your top teams are probably still going to be there and be at the top. But I do, I do. I like the question. It's good. It is good incentive. Again, I've just been so overwhelmed by the questions and logistics of everything. I haven't really actually thought too much about the curling. I can't even picture actually physically being there curling in an arena in calgary it's actually hard to visualize
0: and my final guest this week is two-time u.s women's champion and 2020 u.s mixed doubles champion tabitha peterson who had herself a great day last week when she was named to represent the u.s in both the 2021 women's world championship and the 2021 world mixed doubles championship after missing out on participating in the worlds in those two events last season due to the pandemic Tabitha, the first question I want to ask you is a little untraditional, but I believe it's an important one in this day and age that we're living in right now uh, during the pandemic. How are you doing, and how have you and your family been coping during the pandemic?
5: Um, I mean, it's definitely been weird, not curling as much as we would be and traveling as much as we would normally be, but... Um, everything else has stayed very much the same for me because I'm, I'm a pharmacist. So I've been going to work and everything like that's been normal. My boyfriend is a nurse, so he's been going to work. So we're, we're coping, you know, our daily routines haven't changed as much, but definitely less social interactions with friends and family and things like that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's hard in that aspect for sure. The social aspect I miss, but other than that, everything's been good with our jobs and everything, so.
0: Tabitha, as you were just mentioning, you and your boyfriend have been on the front lines to varying degrees uh, over the past uh, several months since the beginning of this pandemic. How taxing has it been and how stressful has it been for you guys over these past several months?
5: Yeah, and it's been interesting with the, I don't know, I guess the transition of everything since March and to now, just with masks like are in the state of Minnesota. I don't know if it is the same, probably, but we have a mandatory mask mandate now, but you know, back in even March and April, it was still like, well, you should be wearing one, but you know, and he was wearing one in the hospital the whole time, but in the pharmacy, it was kind of like optional, but then they made a mask mandate. And as we got more information about COVID and everything, it was like, okay, yeah, we're so anytime I'm out in public, you know, I'm obviously wearing a mask, but it's, it's definitely been, um, interesting hearing all the vaccine news and learning about that and my company is kind of starting to roll out uh, a plan of administering the vaccine um, to long term care facilities and nursing homes and things like that first so I'll be involved in helping with that so I'm excited.
0: The day that we're recording this interview, uh, Tabitha, was a really good day for you as it was announced that you would be representing the United States at both the 2021 World Women's Championship and the 2021 World Mixed Doubles Championship along with Joe Polo. This announcement was made after USA Curling confirmed that they were postponing the U.S. Men's, Women's and Mixed Doubles National Championship until late spring. To provide some context, you had won both the 2020 women's and mixed doubles nationals, but you did not get to rep the United States at the Worlds because they were cancelled due to the pandemic. Now, I realize that you may have preferred winning the 2021 spots at the Worlds on the ice, but regardless, it must have felt good to be entrusted to represent the United States at a world championship where there will be automatic berths to the Olympics on the line.
5: I know. It does seem crazy. After everything this year, it just seems so unreachable I guess that any curling would even happen so it's exciting that they're kind of trying to make these big events happen so definitely looking forward to it but yeah I mean it it definitely was a huge bummer back in March learning that we wouldn't be able to compete in the the 2020 World's uh, Women's Amex Doubles and so it feels like oh cool like we get to we get another chance at it but you know this this year has just been just you know, just so different and so weird. So I think just in terms of thinking about everybody's safety and hosting championships that, you know, do we really need to be hosting things like that if we don't have to, you know, like a nationals or like a a challenge round or something like that. And just, just the fact that for us, the, you, the men's and women's nationals, like we lost our um, host site a few months ago, they decided that they wouldn't be able to host our nationals even because of not only because of COVID, there was other damages, I guess, to the facility in Iowa. Um, So then it was like, oh my gosh, they're looking for a host now to host our nationals in like less than two, three months, whatever it was. So just hard to do that in this environment right now. And so, you know, we were kind of as a team, um, my women's team, we've been kind of planning for every scenario type of thing. And this was something that we thought that they might end up deciding you know kind of moving those resources and the money to because it's not like we just want to go and compete like we need to do well and qualify our country for the olympics and so you know and we haven't been on the ice as much as we normally would be at this point in time so like thinking rethinking things to kind of move some of those resources money that you would maybe be spending on a championships to you know getting us to practice more and have scrimmage games and because we don't even have ice right now Um, they the state of Minnesota closed down all their curling clubs um, a few weeks ago through the end of the year so um, just trying to figure out creative ways to get us um, where we need to be to compete and do well at a world championships so There's a lot of moving parts, I feel like.
0: (laughs) As you were mentioning, you and your boyfriend both work in the healthcare field, and participating in both the Women's and Mixed Doubles World Championship will require overseas travel. Is that a concern for you, or are you confident that traveling to Europe should be safe, especially if the World Curling Federation puts a bubble in place similar to what will be in place in Calgary?
5: Yeah, and we've kind of talked about, you know, we think I think right now it's a 10-day quarantine or something for Switzerland, but we would go even earlier and just get acclimated, you know, time zone wise and all of that. But yeah, I mean, I have full confidence that the that WCF and everybody running the event would make sure that we feel safe and we're in this bubble and, you know, but I can't help but think in the back of my, head, I guess, hopeful that a lot of people maybe have the vaccine by then, which would, I don't know, hopefully probably change things, but, you know, you can't bank on that. So having a backup plan of making sure that everybody feels safe and it's, you know, staying in the bar and all that, but, you know, having friends and like less around is going to contribute to making that feel like a safe environment for us. But yeah, I mean, I, I, like you said, I've been out on the front lines since the day, day one, you know, and I, as long as like you yourself are practicing safe things, like washing your hands, wearing your mask and, Staying distant from people, like that most important thing. So as long as everybody's doing that and making sure that we, and I'm sure they'll be testing and all, feel confident. And I feel that they can make it safe. So we'll we'll kind of see as more information out and what they plan on doing.
0: So, Tab, with uh, all the restrictions that have been in place in different states uh, over the past several months, have you and the team been able to practice much or get any games in? I, I know there was a high-performance uh, program practice weekend in September, I believe, but I don't think there's been much chance for your team to get together and play some games since then, right? Um, yes. Yeah. So, we had
5: that scrimmage weekend back of October where we uh, scrimmaged the men's teams and the men's teams, so played, what, six? five or six games. Um, and that's it. We um practice that we had scheduled as a team but getting canceled um of COVID reasons and everything like that. I had been able to like just practice and had league a little bit. Then once things got shut down, you know, we so we probably only practiced two three or maybe two ish months before things got down. So not a lot, and not a lot of games under our belts either. Like I said, I think we had six games this season, so it's definitely not where we would normally be at.
0: I've spoken to many elite curlers over the past few months and several have mentioned that they have been surprised by how mentally taxing the pandemic has been on them. You're dealing with a bit of a double whammy. You're on the front line as a pharmacist during the day and what would have otherwise been your biggest outlet, curling, has mostly been taken away from you as well. Now I was speaking with Phil Drobnik of USA Curling and he mentioned that they've invested in ensuring that the athletes in high performance program are well surrounded during this time. How have you gone about trying to fill the void created by the lack of curling this season
5: you know and I think that's something that not just as a collective whole you know side effect of COVID that we've seen is the whole mental health aspect of it all and so yeah I mean and even though I'm still out working like I normally would like like I said before you know just less social interactions with people and friends that you'd normally be seeing you know that plays a toll on it too so for me just keeping myself busy and even when I'm not working or if I can't curl, you know, I can, you know, start some home projects or do some something else, read, craft, whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think if curling is, is your main thing and your, your job um, yeah, you have to kind of occupy your, your brain elsewhere, whether it's doing more um, you know, mental health activities like with sports psychology or, or, you know, but it's, um, with the U S curling, we do have a lot of access to, um, mental health areas. Um, they have kind of overhauled their system where they are making it more of a priority of giving athletes access to a lot of these resources with, you know, counselors or sports psych or mental health people. So, you know, it's, it's no hiding the fact that it's taking a toll on everybody in that aspect. So, um, having resources available to everybody is, is important, and I think they, the USOC, the Olympic Committee, is really um, taking charge of that initiative, and it's you know, better covered under our insurance plan and uh, everything like that, so I, I think that's really good in what they're doing there.
0: And finally, Tabitha, you've been playing at the elite level for several seasons now, but you really stepped up last season when the spotlight was on you after Nina Rot went on mat leave. Did you think you might be able to excel as a skip at that level if given the chance, or did you surprise even yourself a little bit? Yeah,
5: you know, I, I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. Um, but it was kind of like, you know, we knew that Nina wasn't going to be able to play, so this is what we got to do. And so I kind of just took full responsibility of having this new skip role on the team. And, you know, I was, was telling my coaches kind of at the end of the year um, wrap up, like, I felt like I, I don't know if it was because I was a new role, but I felt like I put in like literally like 100% of efforts and times and like, just not even on the ice, but just off ice stuff. And, organizing and managing the team and just like we all put like a ton of effort in and uh, we were very organized because we had to be we had so many moving parts of um, a couple coaches helping us and a player Nina only playing for a month or two and then so just like so much planning like behind the scenes that we um, I think I just felt like confident that we we could do this we're all prepared for you know worst case scenarios or whatever. So let's just do it. And yeah, like we had a really good year. It was, it was fun skipping. Um, I do get really cold out there, so I miss sweeping a little bit, but yeah, it was, it was really fun.
0: And that does it for this week's episode. A big thank you to Mark Kennedy, Laura Walker, Mike Forney, Jill Brothers, and Tabitha Peterson. Also, don't forget to check out our friends at the Two Girls in the Game podcast and the Curling Legends podcast. I'm Frank Rock, and you're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated partnership.